Good morning. It is a beautiful day, and we are glad to be together. We appreciate so much you being here. If you're visiting, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're so thankful for the number of visitors who come our way week to week, and we certainly hope that you feel welcome here, that you'll want to come back. If you are looking for a church home, we would love to have you come and be a part of our church family here. Thank you for the willingness of those who have served this morning. Appreciate Danton leading our singing, uh, the prayer that was offered a moment ago, and we are grateful for the scripture reading, and today we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2 in our study together this morning. I do want to say very quickly, I know that uh, we're in springtime, summertime's coming, and we want to encourage everyone to stay faithful to God, live for Him day in and day out. I know that uh, more and more people are getting out now with the, with the vaccinations, and so we're grateful if this is maybe the first time you've been out in a while. We're grateful that you're here today, and we hope and pray that uh, we can stay healthy and safe and continue serving the Lord. In our lesson today, we're going to be talking about the theme, remember who you are and where you are. Peter was writing to Christians in the first century. One of the things that they needed to remember, first and foremost, who they were. They belonged to God. Just as those of us who have obeyed the gospel, we belong to God. We live in a world that is running at a very rapid pace. And to understand that though we belong to Christ, we live in the world, and there are certain obligations that uh, have been entrusted to us, and we want to do our best to live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to God. So I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 in our study today. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 9 through 12. I want to begin by talking about our call from the Lord. Peter here reminds those in the first century of the unique relationship that they enjoyed to the Lord. He said, you are a chosen generation, an elect race, a royal priesthood. And then he goes on to say, God's own special people, that we have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now I want to just pause there for a minute or two and talk about the unique relationship that we enjoy with the Lord. If you remember the Old Testament, pointed to the coming of the Christ. And the Jewish nation, the Hebrew people, they were preparatory to the coming of the Christ, weren't they? The law ultimately pointed to Jesus. He was the aim of the law. And so you had types and shadows pointing to the coming of the Messiah and His kingdom that would be established on Pentecost Day. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter talks about our relationship to God and the fact that God in heaven is the one who originated a redemptive plan. So we think about the origination of the redemptive plan. That was Almighty God. And Peter says in the long ago that God foreordained the Christ before the world began. You remember John in Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 talks about Jesus as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. 
Paul, in writing to the saints in Ephesus, said that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. And so that is the redemptive plan of Almighty God. Now, it involved the death of Jesus, didn't it? Ultimately, that great plan involved the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. So if you go back and look at 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter said that we have been redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but rather with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. And then, of course, he goes on to say, who verily was foreordained before the world began, but manifest in these last times for you. So Jesus shed his blood on Calvary for the sins of the human family. All those Old Testament sacrifices prefigured the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary. God had this amazing plan in mind. And so as we think about the origination of God's redemptive plan to understand it involved the death of Jesus, His blood and His body. Peter would say in chapter 2 that Jesus suffered for us. That's what he would say in verse 21 and 22. He would go on to say, when He was reviled, He reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself unto Him who judges righteously, who His own self bore our sins in His body, on the cross, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. So there you have the sacrificial body of Jesus for our sins. Sometimes we talk about Scripture and we talk about the fact that God has given us hope through the Christ. Well, God's the one that devised this plan. And it entailed His Son giving Himself as an offering for our sins. So we go back to Calvary. And as you look to Calvary, the scenes from Calvary. Jesus shed His blood, gave His body on the cross so that we might have the hope of redemption. So you hear the Apostle Paul saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Him who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, that Jesus also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. He was just, we were the unjust. Being put to death in the flesh, made alive by the Spirit. So that redemptive plan, no wonder Paul would say in Ephesians 1, to the praise of the glory of His grace. So with that in mind, what about our responsibility to this redemptive plan? Do we have a responsibility? Well, first you need to understand there is the requirement of the new birth. Now, Peter said you're an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, whom He's called forth out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are the called out ones. The church is literally the called out. The instrument that calls us is the gospel of Christ. You remember Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, in writing to those first century Christians that they had purified their souls through obedience to the truth, through the Spirit. And then in verse 23, he said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God which lives and abides forever. So what about this new birth, being born again? Is it essential? 
Well, Jesus thought it was. Because Jesus said in John chapter 3, in his conversation with Nicodemus, Nicodemus, as you well know, was a ruler among the Jewish people. And the Bible tells us he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the miracles of the signs which you're doing unless God's with him. And Jesus then said, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. So he asked the question, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He would go on to say, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. The new birth involves believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The people to whom Peter was writing, they believed definitively in the Christ. And then it would, also involve, it would also involve repentance or a turning away from sin, followed by confessing the name of Christ before others and then being immersed in water, buried with Him in water, so that we might enjoy the forgiveness or the remission of sins. So as you think about the requirement of this new birth, Peter said they had been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. You remember the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church at Colossae? Talked about how they had been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son? Talking about the church there. We are, we are the Israel of God. The terminology that Peter is using in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The children of Israel, they were God's chosen people, weren't they? They were that elect race, that royal, they had a royal priesthood, or they had a priesthood of people. All of that typified the coming of the new dispensation, the Christian system. And so we've been called out of darkness. We have been placed in the body of Christ. So there is the requirement of the new birth, and then there is the reception of new blessings. When you become a child of God, you enjoy a tremendous host of blessings. In Ephesians 1.3, Paul said that every spiritual blessing known to man resides in one place. That's Christ. And the only way to get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. When we're baptized into Christ, we are then in a unique relationship where we enjoy all spiritual blessings. Well, what kind of blessings? Well, in 1 Peter 1, 22, Peter said our souls have been purified. In other words, we've been cleansed or pardoned from sin, haven't we? Didn't Paul say in Ephesians 1, 7 that it's in Christ that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace? When you're in Christ Jesus, all of your sins are washed away. Any sin? Yes. All sin? Absolutely. When Peter preached on Pentecost Day, recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 2, when those people were convicted of sin and they wanted to know what they needed to do in order to enjoy a relationship with God, Peter told them, you need to repent, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. 
When they did that, what did they enjoy? Forgiveness, the remission of sins, the washing away of sins. Same thing we enjoy when we obey the gospel. Furthermore, it's in that unique relationship that we have peace with God. Prior to obeying the gospel, we have no relationship with the Father, do we? We're separate. Sin separates us from God. And yet Paul would say in Romans 5 verse 1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got pardon, forgiveness. We have the purification of the soul. There is peace with God. We have the privilege of prayer. Listen to Peter. Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. One of the greatest spiritual blessings that we enjoy is prayer. Well, why do we have that blessing? Because we're in Christ. Those who are in Christ Jesus have the unique opportunity to pray to Almighty God 24-7. And it's in that context that we can cast all of our cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for us. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter 5-7. We have the promise of life eternal. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1 that on the basis of the resurrected Christ, we have a living hope. He said that hope is undefiled, incorruptible. He said it fades not away, it is reserved in heaven for you. All these great blessings. So we live in light of the fact that one day we can be with God in heaven. One day we can be with our family members forevermore. Never again to say goodbye to those that we love. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, we talk about the call. But secondly, what about the citizenship? What about our citizenship in the Lord? Now, Peter's going to talk about a couple of things that are very important. First, the facts about life. I want you to listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2. Down in verse 11, he said, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. A sojourner or a pilgrim, Peter here is talking about the transitory nature of life. Really, he's talking about our pilgrimage here on planet Earth. Aren't you grateful to live and to enjoy the blessings and favors of the handiwork of God? Aren't you grateful to have friends and family members and all the wonderful blessings that we enjoy on a daily basis? But to understand that while God has blessed us with life here, one day we will pass from this life. If you go back to Genesis chapter 47, there is an interesting conversation that took place between Jacob and Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked Jacob in the long ago, after having been reunited with his son Joseph, he asked him how old he was. And he said, the days of the years of my pilgrimage. There's the idea right there. We're pilgrims or sojourners on planet Earth. He said, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. How'd you like to live to be 130? When we talk about living to be 80 or 90 years of age, had the opportunity to visit with a friend yesterday 
who turned 92 last month. In my book, 90 years is a long life. And this lady still cuts her own yard. Busy. So, we might live to be 80, 90 years of age, but what was it the psalmist said? The psalmist said, we might live to be 70 or 80, but it's soon cut off, and what happens? We fly away, don't we? And so it's in light of that fact that he would say, teach us to number our days. To understand that we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And we might live to be 70 or 80, and listen, that's a great run. But at some point in time, life will end as we know it. So we're just pilgrims here. We are, as we say sometimes, just passing through, aren't we? Now we want to make the best of the time that God's given us. We want to use our time wisely. The tour that we have here on earth, though limited in nature, can be inherited with a lot of blessings in this life. And I think that we ought to enjoy life. Peter talks about those who would love life and see good days. I love life, don't you? And I'm grateful for every day that God gives me here upon planet earth. But I know as I grow older in life that my time will eventually come to an end. David said one time, I'm young, now I'm old. And so as you grow older in this life, every day becomes sweeter and more precious to you, doesn't it? James said, life's like a vapor. It appears for a little while, and then he said, it vanishes away. Job said, man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. And so when you live here on planet Earth, to understand that at some point in time, you'll have to step out into eternity. That has to do with the facts of life. But then what about our focus? In, what's your focus in life? I mean, what are you living for? What is your life all? If somebody asks you to write down on a piece of paper, name five things that your life is all about, what would you put? I mentioned a moment ago, Peter said, He that would love life and see good days. Are you happy? You content? Can you say you've had a good life? Are you enjoying good days? Have you made wise choices? You know, wise choices in life lead to happiness, satisfaction, and contentment. Unwise choices in life can bring about a lot of heartache, can't it? So what would your life, what would your life, in a nutshell, what would it consist of? What's your life all about? Could I suggest that life ought to have a purpose? We ought to have a purpose for getting up every day. Do you have a purpose? You remember Solomon? Solomon considered to be the wisest man to have lived in his day. Solomon had the opportunity to literally put life under a microscope. He began to run a series of tests. His goal was to find out the summation of life. In other words, what life's all about. He had at his disposal so many blessings and favors, materially speaking. When you think about it, here was a man that was endowed with great wisdom. He was a man of power. He was the king over Israel. He was a man of immense power. Popularity, everybody knew who Solomon was. The Bible says the queen of the south came from the ends of the earth to hear his wisdom. And she said the half hasn't been told. And then 
in terms of possessions, you read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and you read what the record says. This guy was wealthy beyond our wildest dreams. We talk about people today, Bill Gates and others, who are billionaires. Solomon had immense wealth. And you know what Solomon said in that series of tests that he was running? He said, he who has silver will not be satisfied with silver. His conclusion was, the more you have, the more you want. You're not ever going to be satisfied with what this world has to offer. And then pleasure. Solomon said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not withhold from them. Imagine if you can having pockets stuffed with money. Or you got two or three credit cards. And you got so much money, you can walk into this store and that store and this store and that store. You can buy whatever you want. You see a house you want, you buy it. Clothing that you want, you buy it. Automobile, you buy it. Whatever you want. Solomon said, whatever brought me pleasure, I immersed myself in. So then you get to chapter 12. Solomon sets forth a sobering reminder. He said, remember your Creator when you're young, before the evil days come. Why? Because this earthly life will end. So what's the conclusion? So what's life all about? Fear God, keep His commandments. This is man's all. That's purpose. Our purpose in life is to live for God day in and day out, isn't it? When you think about Peter's writing to Christians in the first century. And he's writing to people who at one time did not enjoy mercy, but he said, now you've obtained mercy. You were not a people, but now you're the people of God. In light of our blessings, think about who you are. Think about where you are. So, the focus. Our focus in life, to understand that life has a purpose. And then, we ought to live with a presence, shouldn't we? In other words, people ought to know that we belong to God. Listen again to what Peter said. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter said, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So the idea is, you live in this world, you're not of this world, but you ought to have a presence People ought to see you as one of God's people. We ought to be walking, we ought to be walking billboards, so to speak. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, you're the salt of the earth. We ought to have a leavening influence for good. You're the light of the world. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said in the long ago, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. To understand that we can make a difference in this world. Peter's writing to Christians who are making a difference. We ought to make a difference in the world in which we live. There's a third thing I want to share with you very quickly. 
It has to do with our conduct. Our conduct or our behavior in the Lord. Now Peter says first and foremost that there are some things that we ought to abstain from in this world. So pick up again in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Let me just talk for a minute about the battle. The battle for our soul. You have within you an eternal soul or an eternal spirit. That eternal soul or spirit will live somewhere forevermore. I think sometimes maybe we, mis we misunderstand or underestimate the fact that we're at war. And we're fighting against the age-old adversary of mankind. Peter knew something about battling. Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 5, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We're at war. And there is, there is an adversary out there, and he is doing everything within his power to undermine our faith, to destroy our lives. He wants to see in our lives misery and heartache and sorrow and sadness. He wants us to, he wants us to be immersed in the consequences of a sinful way of life. We're at war. It may be the case that as God's people today, we have missed the concept of the battleground of life. And there's a devil out there that is trying to the best of his ability to destroy your eternal soul. How's he do it? Fleshly lust. Didn't John say in 1 John 2, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You think about how the devil operates. Paul talked about how we're not ignorant of his devices. There are people today that are enslaved to alcohol. And they have a real problem with the bottle because at some point in time, they made the decision to take that first drink. And now they're an alcoholic. There are people today that can't live without a cigarette. Love tobacco. Why? Why would you put something in your mouth that you know is going to destroy you? It's going to give you trouble down the road, and yet people do it. Unwise decision. A lot of folks in our world today are addicted to chemical substances. And the devil is parading all kinds of drugs, in our world today, in our community. And sadly, a lot of young folks are trying drugs and they get hooked on drugs and the rest is history. What about, what about how the devil operates on the mind? Look at, look at some of the things Take inventory of what you watch on television. 
what you listen to on the radio, what's in your CD player, the things that you listen to, the things that you watch, the things that you read, is it helping you to become more Christ-like or, or has it become a detriment to your faith? Now, there is the battle for our soul, but there is the battle of the soul. The beauty, of, the beauty of living the Christian life, the beauty of life is we have the opportunity to make choices, don't we? You decide who you'll live for. You decide what you will live for. To understand that there is a battle for the soul, and individually, you must battle. Paul said, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against the wiles of the devil. In Ephesians 6, Paul talks about the Christian armor. Why do you think police today, why is it that they wear vests? To protect themselves, isn't it? Those Roman soldiers, they had a shield. They had a sword. They had a helmet. They had a breastplate. Why? to protect them against the enemy. And Paul's saying as a child of God, you better understand the devil is after your soul. The devil's doing everything he can to destroy and disrupt your life. And so Peter would say, withstand him steadfast in the faith. Remember how Jesus withstood the devil? How was that? The Son of God's been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. The devil comes on the scene. The devil wanted him to turn stones into bread. And Jesus said, it is written. Took him to the pinnacle of the temple. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world. All these I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. Listen, you need to understand, we need to understand. Someday we will be in eternity. If we lose the battle here, we won't have the hope of heaven. The devil understands he has a date with history. Jesus said hell was not prepared for any of us, but rather it was prepared for the devil and his angels. So if you say yes to the overtures of the devil, and you begin making concessions in your life, you start missing services. You go on a trip. Or, you know, just this one time, I'm going to do this or do that. Just this one time, I'll go hunting. Or just this one time, I'll go play golf. Or whatever, whatever it may be. And before you know it, you start drifting. And then, after a while, what happens? No longer drifting, you've drifted. So, the battle. We're at war. Who's going to win? We all like a winner, don't we? Will you win the battle for your soul? So Peter's telling us that there are some things that we have to abstain from. And note if you would, Peter said, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Can the overtures of the devil 
Can they be strong and appealing? Yes. Would, would it bring immediate satisfaction and gratification? Probably. But again, what's the consequence? Now there's a second thought here. And that is our activities. First, we are to abstain from some things in the world, but then our activities in the world. Listen now, Peter's writing to Christians who were suffering for their faith. They were facing a myriad of persecutions and trials. He talks about the trying of their faith back in chapter 1. But now listen to him in verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of your visitation. These people were under immense pressure. And no doubt there were those who were maligning the Christian faith. They were maligning those who were followers of the Lord. And Peter said, here you are, a child of God, and they're speaking evil against you. Is it not the case that in our world today, those of us who belong to the body of Christ, sometimes we have been singled out as enemy number one? Are we not living in a culture today that says, you know what, we don't need God, we don't need His Word, we don't need the church, and anything that is sacred and holy, there are folks in our world today, they're against it. This cultural clash that we're facing in America is going to put our faith to the test. When you speak out against certain things, and you say marriage is between one man and one woman. There could be repercussions. Look, I didn't originate that. The Lord did. When you speak out against drug usage, when you talk about greed and covetousness and these things that are prevalent in our world, then there's a backlash sometimes. So Peter is saying as a child of God, number one, you need to be a person who demonstrates good works in your life. How is it that people can tell you belong to the Lord? Well, you let your light shine, yes. But you're busy and active in the kingdom. You're out serving other people. How are you going to find fault with somebody who's trying to feed those who are hungry and clothe those who don't have adequate clothing? How are you going to find fault with somebody who's out visiting those who are sick and in trouble in life? Well, the fact of the matter is, that's what we've been created to do, to serve. Jesus said we've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And the idea is we're God's masterpiece. So we're on display. We have been saved for the purpose of doing what? Serving. Serving the Lord. And then... Not just our good works in Christ, but the glorification of Christ. Note again what Peter said. Peter said, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. We live under the Christian system. 
the God of heaven sent His Son to die for us. And we are blessed to live in this age. And so when you think about all the blessings and favor that God's bestowed on us to live to His glory day in and day out, is your life being lived to the glory of God? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Why? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's not about us in terms of we're out doing good work so that we'll get a pat on the back. It's nice to have somebody say, I appreciate what you've done. It's not about trying to get a pat on the back and personal adulation. Rather, it's about doing that which brings honor and glory to God. Why? Because that's, that's why we've been created, to glorify God. So to remember who we are and where we are. We're in the world. And life at best is tough. We need the Lord, don't we? If you're a Christian, you are blessed. Blessed above the rest. There are a lot of folks, I had somebody say to me this week, they said, I don't know how people make it in this world without the Lord. I don't either. I really don't. Life can change on a dime. And there are people who one day are well, life is good, future looks grand, and before you know it, everything's changed. Prospects of longevity don't look nearly as positive. It's how quickly life changes. But to know that God's on our side, and that as a child of God, when it's all said and done, guess what? We win. We win. Peter said we have an inheritance. It is incorruptible. It's undefiled. And he said, it's, he said it fades not away. It is reserved in heaven for you. Have you made your reservations? You know, if you want to go to a fancy restaurant, it might be you've got to make reservations. You don't just show up at the door and say, let me in. Do you have reservations? Well, what would you need to do? You've got to believe Jesus is who He claimed to be, the Son of God. You must repent of all your sins. Change of life followed by a change of actions. And then to confess that you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and continue confessing that with the way you live. And then to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. God will then put you in the church and you'll belong to the body of, body of Christ. And it's in that context that you can offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not faithful to His cause and you've been drifting and you realize that where you are right now is not where you need to be, Look, this world's going to end. This life will end, I promise you. The question is, are you ready for it to end? As we stand and sing.